Hello troops, Tom O'Rear, getting ready to record the next episode of the Granite Zero podcast. But before I do, I'd like to take a moment just to give out a little shout out to the one and only Dead Mammoth Coffee Company. They're a veteran-owned, veteran-run coffee company and one of the best out there. You're saying to me, Tomo, what makes them so fucking much better than anyone else? Well, they're roast to order for a start and they grind it down to your specific tastes. So go and see them. That's the Dead Mammoth Coffee Company. You're welcome. Sometimes you want to go to the gym. And sometimes you need the best supplements out there. Why not better than choosing something that is veteran owned? And give their proceeds to charity. That is Combat Fuel. Now Combat Fuel are the helpers behind the Granite Zero t-shirt as well. Which you can still get. They're still limited numbers. They are once in a lifetime limited edition t-shirts. But they also produce some fantastic sports supplements. So go and see them. And if you want 15% off, put in the promo code WARRIOR15 at checkout and get yourselves 15% off. Now, like me, you might suffer from depression, anxiety, maybe even PTSD. You might even have an eating disorder. You could have any type of mental health problem. Or even inflammation of the muscles, inflammation of the joints, etc, etc. And you're saying, what can I do to make it stop hurting, help me get through anxious times, help deal with my depression? Me, personally, I use CBD oil. And it is the best thing out there to help you through these things. And I use... The UK's best. And that is Infusion CBD. That is Infusion CBD. Go and check them out and go and help yourself. Now, it is time for me to get ready to drop another fantastic instalment of the Granite Zero podcast. And joining myself, Tomo, tonight is Little Brown, obviously, doing the producing for me because he's Ali as fuck. But also joining me is Aaron. And Aaron is a member of the Inner Armour team. Now, Inner Armour is psychology for the front line. That is helping out frontline troops in the military, in the police, paramedics, fire service, giving you the psychological advantages before the likes of PTSD, depression, anxiety take hold. They will help you get the tools that you need to smash through it. So without further ado, joining the Brothers of Destruction, the D-Generation X, Team of Mean, the Dream Team, is Inner Armour. Welcome to the Granite Zero Podcast. Hello, Charlie Charlie One. This is Granite 
zero. We're live now. Sweet. Finally, te technical difficulties out of the way. So, we've got Aaron on the show. Aaron's taken over from Al, I believe. Al's going across America being Ali. Yeah, he did. He did. Um, he he did me message me pretty sharpish. He was like, "I'm am stuck. I've got to go and do this." I was like, "Oh, don't worry about it. It's no no stress involved. We like to do things on a whim anyway." And he said, uh, "He said Aaron, Aaron's he said Aaron's a good laugh. He'll he'll get amongst it." And I was like, oh, "Sweet." Yeah, <laughs> Good to have a bit of banter with the Americans. So, so for, for for those that don't understand uh, what inner armor is, could you just like explain it to the uh, the listeners, or listener? <laughs> Sounds like you've you guys have hit the nail on the head. Really, um, it's like they always teach you what to do once you're uh, depressed or got PTSD, anxiety, that sort of thing. It's like, oh, you've already got it. This is what you need to do. They, nobody's ever gone. Oh, this is what you need to do when you're feeling when when you start to feel or before it feels. Like for me, for example, I went to uh, Basra. Kandahar and Bastion and we never once got any pre-deployment training that would be you may see what they, they try to like guide you into it 
through your pre-deployment training, like you have, we have the amputees in action, that sort of thing, so that you're ready to see it, but it's not mentally, this is how you should deal with it when you've seen someone with their legs blown off or you're in a, a contact for God knows how many hours. Thank God that I was never in those sorts of situations, but it would have been nice to have the training or some sort of guide to help you deal with that sort of stuff. It's yeah, and, and I think what we're finding is even in, you know, um, I come from an education background, and I'm not suggesting that what, what teachers go through is anything like what soldiers go through, um, but certainly the pressures of the job, whatever they are, can build up on people. And I think there's, there's a couple of things that we're trying to break down here. One is general stigma behind, even if it's a minor case of, feeling a bit like you're not coping or you're, you're not dealing with things that you've been through, uh, to, to, to rely on the people around you to kind of get out of that. Yeah. Um, and that takes culture change, which is a wider, a bigger picture thing that we need to, to sort. But institutionally, you know, we know whatever the, wherever the trauma is or how it's developing, um, the networks around a person are just as vital as the person's understanding of recognizing when they're going through a traumatic experience or when it's starting to, to dig into them and when to lean on these on, on people and so on. And what our model does and what our training does is it, it allows the wider audience around someone going through trauma to kind of recognize it going on and yeah. to be able to intervene in a meaningful way uh, for them to kind of get a sense of how am I going to dig myself out of it or how am I going to put things in place deliberately so that I don't go further yeah. and ultimately hopefully come out driving on the other side. So, and, you know, the example you gave is like, okay, so you're about to go into battle, you're about to go into some really high stress situation. You know, um, I think, you know, my, my, my brother-in-law was, was a, a reconnaissance Marine in the U.S. Marines and, and he did three tours in Afghanistan and Iraq. And he talks about it, obviously you're relying on the person to your right, to your left. Yeah. Um, but what you also need them to do is to be able to recognize in you, um, you not just you looking at them, but them looking at you and having that sense of, we know we've got the tools to deal with what, we, what we're going to go through, not just be warned about it, but okay, we've been warned about it, now we can proactively think about, okay, if this is going to happen, we see these guys going through this, we're going to step aside here and intervene properly now, get it sorted, you know, quarantine it, put it away, and now we can move on as a, as a team, as a community, as a whatever you want to call it. Um, and the work we've done thus far is that people really understand it. You know, people in your guys' shoes, people in the police, they get it now, and they're starting to, there's a culture change starting to come, and that's really good for us, but even better for them, you know, that's, that's the beauty of it. Yeah, sounds yeah. sounds really good. And to be fair, it seems like it can also cross over into civilian sort of life as well with high stressful jobs. Like Darren, for example, is a is a chef, and you don't get much more stressful than running a restaurant, from what I've seen anyway. Unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, and, and this is the thing. I think um, you know, me as a teacher, I've been using it with students, uh, so I'm, you know, I, I teach the older students, I'm ahead of sixth form at the moment, um, leaving to, to join Al full-time uh, in April, and um, it works with the kids, it works with the teachers around me, 
Um, it would work for people in the finance industry. It, work, it just works because ultimately it starts conversation with the idea that you're going to utilize the skills and the, and the person in with you to get them to identify what they need, to put a plan of play, and, and move forward. Um, and that's powerful. And the idea of coaching, I mean, the fundamental understanding about what you do when you coach someone is it's the underlying belief that the person you're coaching has all the tools they need to pull themselves out, but they need help. And so we're training people to do that, to give the help in a very deliberate way. So yeah, chef, definitely. Maybe we, well, <laughs> maybe we can do a quarantine with you at some point, and then you can uh, talk to your audience about how it went and what you thought about it. But um, yeah, it's certainly, I, honestly, any industry, any, any person, any family member, really, if, if, if you wanted to use this, you could. I, I know exactly one thing that Darren would love to do with you guys because I, I spoke about it with um, with Alicia. She was the one that uh, sort of guided me to you guys uh, in Inarama. That's uh, Alicia Emerson Thomas. She was talking about you guys. And they said you were doing some uh, magnificent things with Lego. Yes. And uh, I know full fact that my big brother loves a bit of Lego. See... I don't. I don't think the Lego would work on me very much because I've got zero patience for it, and I will just destroy it all and just and leave. Uh, you know what's funny about that is um, <laughs> some of the, the the most badass people we we worked with was this. You know, I'm not, not going to name names, but there's a guy out in the, in the states back in uh, early December. <laughs> you know, Al was running a session, and in the first few minutes, the guy's like, "Al, I love you." This is all bullshit, you know? <laughs> <laughs> this is within the first sort of hour. Um, yeah. That'd be, that'd be probably my reaction to the Lego. <laughs> yeah. But this guy, this guy later on, uh, not two, three hours later, through the Lego series plan, through uh, sort of de de deconstructing an incident that he had just not dealt with really for, you know, you're talking about sort of 10, 15 years. He was in he was in tears, bub, you know, bubbling like a little baby in a, in a good way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was very brave of him to do it. He, he embraced it. And it took him about five minutes or so, and he got kind of into it. And he started to understand that that technique has very deliberate um, mechanisms in it to access parts of the brain that need to be accessed when processing trauma. Um, and he loved it, and he, you know, he's Al's best friend after that. <laughs> yeah. And, but, you know, I've gone through it myself. I, you know, Al and I met because he came to my school to do some work with my staff, and I was probably a little bit skeptical about this, the Lego stuff as well, because, like, well, how can Lego help this? Because I'm like, you, yeah, I'm not very good with Lego, unless I've got really clear instructions. Yeah. But when you ask to just create something from memory or something, I'm not very creative at by nature, because I'm uh, my my background is mathematics and physics. So when I sat down to build from nothing Lego, I thought, I don't know what the hell I'm going to do here. Yeah. So you know, you start building, and then but actually, it's it's not even about the creation itself; it's about the interpretation of the creation. So if you put a red brick down and that represents blood, then fine, everyone in the room agrees that represents blood. And so you can build a model very simply by putting like six, seven bricks down, which could actually help you communicate some quite complex emotions that yeah. maybe you haven't been able to connect before. 
and it's really, really powerful. And it's really, it actually, you know, we, we set the task, we give people about 15 minutes, and after 15 minutes, everyone's begging for more time. Yeah, yeah. So it's really interesting to watch and be a part of, definitely. But I, I, would, I would challenge you, at some point, both of you, if you wanted to sit down and do it, we, we should, because it's just an incredible okay. tool. It, and and anxiety fucking PTSD that that's the big thing is that you you shut off and you don't understand why you're feeling like that I I heard it on another podcast I'm gonna sort of steal it he's a mate it's fine um it's like you've hurt your leg for example you know you've hurt your leg you can go and speak to Darren and say look I've hurt my leg he went Oh, I've hurt my leg before, it might be this. But when you've got something going on in your head and you're like, I don't know why I'm feeling like this. But it, for, for, for us military guys, it's, I, I don't know why I feel like this. I feel down, I feel depressed. Oh, would you still go back out to Afghanistan tomorrow if you asked to? Yeah, definitely. Why, why would I want to go back out there? I don't know. And it's like, oh, why don't you know? Uh, and then you just don't understand how to process 
what is going on in your part of my French fucked up mind. <laughs> and it's how how to how to how to juggle it, how to then and it's like people ask you the question, what what do you think's wrong with you? And you're like, Well, I don't know. Yeah, if I knew that, I, w I wouldn't be going to see the doctor. I wouldn't be, you know, it's just one of those things, like, you break your leg, you know how to fix it. Well, I don't know how to fix a broken leg, but a doctor does. That sort of thing. It's like, yeah. I know it's broken. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's pinning down, and, and obviously with, with the mind, there's so many different dimensions to how problems develop and so on that... It's not just a Started the podcast in the first place, and probably why you guys started getting involved. 
I think exactly, and, and I think you know this is something that I probably want to explore a little bit um, with more research when we get up and going, and we've been working with a bit more people um, in the next few years. But it is research the idea of is is it cultural stigma or is it ignorance that is developed into this cultural stigma? Because actually. Ultimately, it, it seems to me like people are just afraid to talk about it rather than because they don't know what to say, they don't know how to engage in it. And so that leads you down a path of dismissal, I guess, because you're trying to protect yourself from being in a position where you feel like, I don't know what I'm doing here. <laughs> so I, I, I have a, a, a hunch, and it's something I'd like to explore more, but you know, not yet, uh, is this idea that actually it's, it's more about our misunderstanding of what we're actually talking about. How do you have a conversation? I don't know. <laughs> um, what I do know is that quarantine gives you 28 questions, and, always, and you don't have to rely on anything but those 28 questions, and the ability to listen really well. You know, and, and the training talks about then, uh, you know, the different interventions that you can suggest for people, uh, the different challenges you can give them in their lives to kind of implement so that they can start to, you know, because ultimately I think the brain starts to get into negative patterns and you start to look at the negative a lot more than you naturally would. We all think more negatively than we do positively, that's, that's human nature, but it becomes very imbalanced when you start to go down the road of mental health problems and so on. So it's, it's, tr it's utilizing tools and techniques to get some habits in your life that keep the positive right there uh, yeah. and frame, frame it against that negative, you know. It's almost like, um, <clears throat> I was thinking about this earlier, because like, I, I heard it uh, when I met my daughter's couple months weekend, and um, one of the dads said that they're learning to lose, and I, I remember that there, we always had a saying when, when I was still playing football, which was that you get into a winning mentality. You can sort of apply that to everyday life, can't you? You know what I mean? Yeah. If you start thinking negative, think negative all the time. And you yeah. only see negative and think if you're in a positive frame. You look at somebody that just starts the gym, for example. They, they, they go six or seven times a week to begin with. And they, you know, everything's positive. They start eating properly. They start getting up earlier, um, yeah. getting a good night's sleep. As soon as they start missing one or two days a week, that all seems to unravel and back on the couch, get fat again. I, th I think you're right. It's like a, a human... Yeah. Maybe I, I know it for, from full experience with with myself. It's like, um, I, I've mentioned it fucking too many times on the podcast, but the main reason why my uh, depression took to the forefront was the fact that I was no longer uh, Tomo the squaddy. I was no longer a serviceman. And I was like, I've lost my identity. That was my major thing. And it was um, the fact that I was then just a security guard. That was in my head. Oh, I'm just a security guard now. Instead of thinking, oh, I've got a decent job that enables me to put a roof over the girls' heads um, put food on the table. I'm not thinking. Oh, that's that's all positive stuff. I'm just thinking. Oh, I'm just a security guard. And it's how to then flip that round and think. Oh, I've actually got a fucking decent job. 
I come home, my daughters are happy to see me because I'm not going off to the desert for seven months for fighting a war that we shouldn't be at. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and then turn it into what did I do wrong to lose or in normal speak you know what 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 can I do now to then 
move on and move forward to a better yeah better yeah, whatever it. yeah it's not it's not ignoring the negative because I think the negative does have to inform us obviously but it's not letting it drive the discussion yeah. drive the thinking yeah it's putting that at bay and remember you know we, we are as humans biologically programmed to think negatively because we're our first sort of perception of anything that comes into the brain is about whether or not it's a risk or a threat mm. you know and if that that is operating on full drive all the time, well, you've got no choice, have you? Exactly. <laughs> You're constantly looking, oh, God, that, that paper towel over there on the table, looking at me, probably going to kill me. You know, it's like, what? what? <laughs> so that doesn't make any sense. But, you know, um, and it, it, we all know like, there's people in our lives and we can recognize in ourselves when we let our negative self just take over and you like, and it just takes so much effort to come back out of it. And I think possibly that's because we don't practice it enough. Yeah? 100%. 100% on that. Like, yeah. my, my missus is a big one for it. She she knows, well, obviously I've, I've been with her for nearly 12 years now, so she knows me inside and out. So automatically, she I don't know if she can tell by just my mannerisms or my face or what, but she's like, something wrong with you today. So... Even if I'm even if I'm at work and she can't even see me on the phone, she's like, I can tell in your voice you're not right. What's the matter? It's like, before I would be like nothing, I'm fine, leave me alone. But now I'm like, no, I'm having a bit of a bit of a day of it, and then actually speak about it, you know. Yeah. Where before I'd I'd lock myself away, drive away, and push people away. It's it's like like an automatic reaction. Do you talk about me today on the podcast? Um, I probably don't. I probably don't talk about her enough. Um, you know, uh, when I when I I've never actually mentioned this. When I went to therapy when I first started um, feeling shit, um, I, I I brought up the the things with with the misses, and it was um, when I went away on tour. Uh, the first time I went for four and a half months. The second time was five months, I believe. And then the yeah. last time I went was seven seven months, and it's like 
it's not just me that's going away. It's I, I'm I've left. I've got all the troops around me, so I'm all right. Inverted commas. You don't you don't then think about the people that you've left at home. So on my second tour, uh, Kate was pregnant and organising my wedding on her own, basically, while also trying to cope with the fact that her fiancé is in a war zone. Yeah. And nobody goes to to the military spouses, oh, are you, are you okay? <laughs> no, nobody does that. It's always, uh, it sounds like I'm preaching a little bit, but it's always about the soldier that's gone. There's also trauma yeah. in the fact that someone's loved one has just got off on tour. Nobody's gone to the, the spouses going, are you alright, by the way? I, I very I don't even think that any of the the squadrons or anything like that go they, they sometimes organise like a coffee morning or something. So like, oh brilliant. Just yeah, just yeah, one, yeah. is it? Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's so it's it's one of those things as well that for military wives, military husbands, um they they also need some sort of coping mechanism that's uh, put in place where it's like, oh, this might happen. This is how you should deal with it. Um, but it's like it's like they they forget that uh, quite a few squaddies are actually married or in long term relationships, have kids. Like uh, on my third third tour, Jess was, um, I believe she was only one possibly, or coming up to one, I can't remember, long time ago now, but I went away for seven months, and I came back, and she was like, you didn't really know who I was, so imagine, she was only little, so of course she's, she picked me back up, it took us a while to get that bond back, but like older children, like for example, me and, me and my, my old man didn't go to any war zones that we know of, um, but when we were younger, the old man would go off to America, go off to South Africa, parachuting, all that sort of thing. And it's like, oh, where's where's Dad gone? Darren had it more than I did, because Darren was older than I was, um, obviously. So it's like, where's Dad gone? Nobody gives kids sort of mechanisms to think. It's like, one minute Dad's there, next minute he's not. And for military and police and paramedics, firemen, frontline sort of organisations, it's like anything can happen to your parents, mums or dads. It's just it's just a mad mad world that nobody seems to think about the things that you guys are doing. These sorts of coping mechanisms to help. It's just like oh, you'll deal with it when it happens. Brilliant. Cheers. The other side of it is like one of the things I think they, you know, particularly in America, you know, they glorify like in a big way, you know, the, the, the military personnel, and they should. I'm not saying they shouldn't, um, but I, I do wonder if they've done that a little bit because it created sort of like a holier than holy kind of person that. So it would help people kind of understand more that the purpose behind the death of an individual in, in a war zone was bigger than the, 
you know, to, to, to contextualize the death a bit wider. Yeah. And possibly that was a slight motivation behind it. Uh, possibly a judgment, uh, a, a judgment to make it or just fight to go to war. I don't know. But um, they certainly, you know, hold the military personnel in a very public way as if they're kind of more than human. And I don't know if that's helpful or not, but I don't even know if they like it. I, I, I couldn't tell you. But um, it's certainly that, yeah, it, it, you're right. Family support is something that is lacking across the board all over the world in this regard. So, in terms of your organisation, yeah. would your ultimate goal across the UK and the States be to be in contact with every part of... We want, we want our message. Yeah. We want to train all police possible, uh, all military personnel possible, um, in... Well, I mean, we, we want to do it here first. We want to do it in the UK where we are, where we live. Um, because we recognize the pressures that, you know, particularly right now with the cuts that have, you know, happened over the last 10, 15 years, the pressures that they're under. And, and, and the data is out there, you know, there's a lot of stress related to sickness and leave and suicide rates are going up. It, it needs, they need help, and we think we have a solution. So we want to train the whole of the UK police force. Uh, followed by anyone that will have us. We, we just we know how powerful the method can be when it, when when implemented properly and, and utilized in the right ways. Um, and it's not it's scalable because you, you can train. I can train you guys to take care of one another. Um, and I might need to come back maybe in a couple of years time to double check that you you know if you have any questions about it. But it it is scalable where other methods are, and it relies on an individual you know getting around to everybody. Um, and I think that's we recognize it's a strength for two reasons. One, it's going to help more people, but two, as a business model, it's easier to implement because uh, it doesn't rely on me or Al to be the only person or the only two people delivering this stuff. We can get other people trained up to do this. And, um, you know, that's our, our two goals right now are, you know, we want to permeate the UK police and, and military sectors. We want to... Right now, we've got a pretty good thing going on in America, so we'd like to keep that going. Because again, we've, I don't, I, you take the police kind of scenario, what we've got going on in the UK, and, and you transfer that to the states, and they have access to guns like no one else has, and you just think that, that that's even an even more dangerous situation. It's, it's just right there, isn't it? So we'd like to get over there and work over there. Um, We've got a project coming up, hopefully, with NATO uh, in April. We're going to speak to the NATO summit about the work that we're doing to the countries. Yeah, it's not. Uh, I can't quite believe it. You know, we still pinching ourselves a bit. But, you know, if, if we get that and it goes well, you're, you're looking at sort of 29, 30 countries having a, a, a huge number of their personnel trained in this. So you're now going global, really, um, and it can do. It, it could do pretty easily, to be honest. It's just, I think what we're fighting against in a little bit is um, people are afraid to operate in this area because it's so new and, and different to anything else that normally happens. And to, to get people's brains switched about how this all works, 
it's a it's a challenge for us, um, and which is why I think we haven't quite um, permeated the UK market fully yet. But we'll get there. You know, we're going to keep plugging away. So I just got this warning. I've got 10% battery, so I'm trying to do this uh, <laughs> like this charger discreetly. <laughs> have a look at my curtains for a second. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> but yeah, so our goal, you know, short term is to permeate the UK and the US. And long term goal is to get ourselves into as many countries that will have us. Uh, I think, tell me if I'm wrong here, with, um, I was found when. Uh, when I was training the, that the easiest and hardest to train were both military and other servicemen um, because they're sort of, during their basic training, doesn't matter if you're a police officer or if you're a paratrooper, you get trained in a very simple way, broken down, so you listen to what you what you're told, and then you're built up to this persona, like you said, in the States maybe a bit more, that you are human, you're in you're in the army, you're in the air force, you're in the navy, you're a police officer, now you're a fireman. And they know how, like in, in my field at the time, they, they knew how to. And it was almost like they were trying to tell me how to train them, because the things I was doing at the time were relatively, relatively, could be nothing. Um, the sort of strength and conditioning stuff that I'm doing with I came up with a roadblock because it was like, well, that's not what we were told. So, but not everything you're told in your training is 100% correct. And I don't doubt that you come up against similar sort How of roadblocks. Dare like, you. I'm, 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 a, <laughs> I'm a soldier. What can you tell me about my what I've experienced? You know, that's yeah, and, and then that's the other thing. It's like they, the, the misconception is that we're trying to tell them how to feel, how to think. Yeah. And stuff. Like, we're not actually. We're, we're giving you a mechanism to explore how you might think. And, and it's, that nuanced language is very kind of academic. And it's like mm-hmm. trying to put that message across to people that really don't want to know that it's hard. And, and it's, it's different, isn't it? And um, we will always come across skeptics it's going to happen, and that's, that's fine because uh, that means we're doing the right thing. If people are giving us resistance, mm-hmm. that's good because it, it also reframes our model a bit because uh, it needs to work for the people that are going to be using it, and it, they need to believe in it. And so by getting some resistance, we can continue to build the case against the, the views that come at us. But you're right. Um, there's a couple of things, like the hardest sector so far, though, in terms of uh, challenge to us is the education sector. <laughs> because uh, teachers, like I'm a teacher, so I'm taking the piss on myself here, but uh, we know everything. <laughs> you know, um, it's like very that. academic and we're, you know, and that's fine, but uh, we're also very critical people. And that's what gets in our way. It gets in our way because we see negative. I'd, um, I'd like to try it on uh, Chris Smith. <laughs> yeah. He's listening. <laughs> he, he would enjoy this, I think. Do- um, Dr. Chris Smith. <laughs> but, but yeah, 
that's where a lot of um, now, I mean, this might seg- segue into sort of more current events. Um, why Sean has me, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> especially in the states and Canada at the moment with the whole politically correct things, you know, say this, say that, um, and it quite often comes out of the colleges, and because people have, well, it's not because it's just, it's just a thought because people in academia are constantly around similar thinking people. <laughs> Nobody wants once they attach themselves. That's that's correct, and it's all, with the, the whole politically correct. Uh, you know the the one with the, the gender pronoun, and they, him, her, uh, the twenty-five old other ones, and that's you know that could work in a, in a college campus, but on the average person in the street, it doesn't really work. But it's because of because of Twitter, because of Instagram, um, YouTube, it, yeah. it seems it seems like you uh, get these small amount of people with that make a lot of noise, and that can work in your favour sometimes. Like, so say you you suddenly became a big hit on social media, I'm sure you you'd have people on the phone all the time, whether it's average Joe or whether it's they're in, in the army. Um, but it can also work in a negative. Uh, is it Jordan Peterson got into a lot of trouble over uh, in the States? Yeah, 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 yeah. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it, when you actually listen to what happened, it's like well, all he was saying was that he wasn't going to not not go in to teach his students because he, uh, it was something to do with them being white or something like that. Then put a bigot and all sorts of crazy. But yeah, yeah I think. Um, I think you're right with teachers. Of course, the, well, you have to think like that. You know that you you know what you're talking about. That's that's a part of your job. Yeah, yeah. You're not convinced of that, or at least semi-convinced. Yeah. That you can't get the message across to your students or, or pupils. Well, what's interesting though is that um, I, you know when I started off in my career, I was sort of learning the craft from people that I thought were good. Yeah. Uh, and the reason I thought they were good is because they could walk into a room and the children would fear them. So they'd shut up, sit down, do nothing. Mm-hmm. But then as, as I've, you know, I've done this for 16 years now, as I've developed in my career, the more I realize, first of all, I'm not that person. I'm never going to be that person. And when I have to become that person, um, I hate it and I don't enjoy it. Um, and, 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 the way that I've gone about it now, I operate my lessons and the way I approach the children as if I'm, I'm there to have a good time. And, you know, the, the, because the people and things, you know, we, the, the education is, is a system of compliance. You, 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 you get told if you listen or you don't, and that usually means you either do well or you don't, right? And yeah. if it was that simple, then, to be honest, I mean, based on what we know about children as they develop, uh, they really should be questioning us more. <laughs> yeah. about. And um, by stifling that, it means they, it stifles the learning that they have as well because they then stop questioning other things. They become less autonomous. They don't They don't want that to challenge because they feel like well, that's not acceptable because when I did challenge, I got into trouble. And, and yeah. I'm like, you know, my, my lessons now, you know, um, they're... 
they're loud, there's a lot of noise, but that's okay because they're learning. Yeah. And they feel comfortable to learn, and they, it's all that stuff, and I, I completely abandoned the idea and the mantra of, of people just following along because I said so. Um, and that's, you know, obviously that's one extreme. And, but the thing is, teachers in that conversation, so this idea that they know everything, I, I'm, I, again, that's another thing that I've changed in my own practice. I, I tell them if I don't know. You know, I'm very upfront about it. I'm like, I don't know. That's always a good find thing. Out. Yeah, you know? that's what I don't know, but I will find out, and then I'll be able to be able to tell yeah. you. Or I'll say, get, get get your phone out and take a look for me, and I'll I'll carry on. You do that and let us know when you got it. Or something, you know, why not? That's the thing about the school system. I, I think you, you said the whole uh, shut up and listen to me. Yeah, it people's learning, and it makes it makes you more compliant. I think it. I don't know if I'm off here or if I've heard this somewhere else. I don't think I have. Do you think of the current school model? They're all sort of industrial revolution time. Yeah. And it was more beneficial to get a job if you could shut up, be quiet, and go sit and work in a factory. Yeah. And nowadays, the nature of jobs aren't quite like... I mean, there's always going to be people who are more suited to working in a factory, but with the the technology that's out now and creativity that's required to keep this technology moving on. I think maybe the school system should move. I mean, maybe it is. I mean, Georgie seems to enjoy school as much as, you know, as I did. Sometimes she thinks it's great, sometimes she doesn't. But I think that the whole teaching method, I think you're correct. I think it's just, it could be a little bit more, uh, but a little bit more freedom to learn. Not not so much like I'm not a massive believer in the whole Steiner school. Yeah. I, I think that you do need to have some sort of structure, like because then you're, yeah. you're not going to learn important things that are essential in our our modern lives. But I do think they do have the right idea with the. With the way kids are drawn to certain subjects, like why why can't they focus more on those subjects? Why are they, you know, some kids generally don't like physical activity. You know, if, they, if it's okay with their parents, why can't they just go and learn more about computing or drawing or or whatever? Why do they have to go to these <coughs> lessons? That, you know, I think you'd have to have a base. Maybe I mean I'm not trying to really design the education system. At all. No. It's- Base subjects and just go on then, you go and learn. Oh, you don't want to do art anymore, you want to have a go at that. And I think that I said this to Sean a while ago with with sports as well. I think the biggest mistake as parents we make is like as soon as they show they're good at something, it's like you have to go and do this. This is what they are going to be a they're going to be a rugby because I was a rugby. It's like, well, if they're into it, if they want to play football for six weeks, let them play football for six weeks. They want to go in and do take a jiu-jitsu but go and do that. So they want to play cricket in the winter. Go and play cricket in the winter. I, I think until I get to sort of at the age of 16, what's it matter? You're not going to... In fact, there's studies out that say that kids that play a variety of sports 
are more likely to do well in one sport once they decide what that one sport is. If you look at I the, might have yeah. that, that might be a hundred percent bro science. Yeah, we'll do that, mate. I'm sure there's loads at the minute. Oh, yeah. Did, uh, well, I know Sean did. Did you see Ricky Gervais's Golden Globe speech? I didn't see it, no. How have you not seen it? You need to. He tore the celebrities apart. It was brilliant. You were playing Lego, weren't you? Lego, yeah. Trying to get her to explain to me why she wouldn't, you know, go to the toilet. Toilet, you know. Let's play with Lego and tell me how that works. I want to get. I want to know more about this Lego. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you guys are on LinkedIn at all, but there's a. You can follow the the Lego series play, which is a a proper thing. You can get accredited in in doing it. they, they have a lot of videos online that kind of explain it in much more detail than I've done. Um, very, very good, yeah. So basically, Ricky went on, um, he completely, well, he started off and said, this is the last time I'm doing this award show, uh, so I don't care. Um, no, I don't care anymore. And, and who am I kidding? I never cared. Um, <laughs> he attacked um, Apple in front of There's a, there's a brilliant thing with, um, there's a, a, a picture, I think I shared it on my Instagram, with Ricky Gervais at the top doing his speech, then underneath it's got Civilian Mind, and it's got Tom Hanks, and then underneath it's got uh, the bloke that played Kylo Ren in, oh, yeah, in yeah, Star Wars. Driver. Yeah, he, he's, he's yeah. a veteran, and it's got him laughing at all the dark humour that Ricky Gervais was pulling out, and it's like, you can see the difference. <laughs> <laughs> brilliant. 
um, well, he, he brought up his show um, after life. Yeah. Uh, and how he um, plays a guy that's suicidal because his wife dies of cancer. Yeah. Uh, he went, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, he didn't kill himself, like empathy. Uh, <laughs> everybody just went. And he went, oh, sorry, I know he's your mate and you have to fly her on your own plane this time, but come on, he did it. So, oh, he literally helped no punches. <laughs> closing line was um, about not not giving out uh, political advice or um, having their say on anything because they, most of them went to school uh, less than Greta Thunberg. Yeah. yeah. And, um, so they should come up, thank their gods, get their award, and fuck off. <laughs> That was his final thing. Brilliant. It was brilliant. Did anyone sort of challenge in any way, or were they just kind of going? That's the um, thing. I don't think they can. Because <laughs> he'll just he'll just tear them apart. That must be another current event right there. Mighty Trump. That's all right. I'll I'll carry on. Carry on talking about the good old uh, Mr. Trump. <laughs> it's incredible. Yeah, I saw um, I, I saw something on on Twitter earlier as well, and it's like you can't always it's it's same for every country really. You can't always believe the propaganda that's coming out. Like the Iranians saying that the whole of Iran is pissed off and want to attack America when that's not that's not the case at all it's like that most of them are like we're glad that you took out or, well they might not say we're glad yeah, that yeah. you took out the, the, the general but he was a horrible fucking bloke that and it's like you can't yeah. and then and the fact that Iran then tried to attack an American air base and basically failed miserably um, <laughs> it's like uh, it's the thing you can't you can't poke the bear because especially with an election campaign coming up and it and it's a, a well known fact that during an election campaign if you're the president in charge and you're running again and you, there's an act of war you, they they tend to stay in office don't they it, seem, it seems to be that way um not that I'm an expert on American politics, 
or politics in general, because it's not really my forte, but it's all just a big fucking mess. That's all I'm going to say. No, exactly. What, what, what got me about this last election was um, he ran not because he necessarily wanted the job, he just wanted to win. Yeah. And it's like, it, and it, it is about him, and and he is, he's exploiting, and he's, he's grabbing a hold of the national narrative, and he's just exploiting it, and I don't think he has any real interest in... Um, uh, you know, sorting things out for the greater good. I just, if yeah. you, it's, uh, you it's, live day by day, by day, moment to moment, and when you've got someone doing that in that kind of position, it means that they're not, they're not switched into like the wider vision yeah. of the world. And stuff. It's like um, Joe Rogan says, it, it, at the end of the day, it's a popularity contest, and he happened to be a very successful reality star with The Apprentice, so... When it comes to popularity, he's going to be quite far up there. Everybody knows Donald Trump. He says the right things at the right times and gets gobbled up. Um, the the whole "Make America Great Again" sort of situation scenario. It's like there's America in general is a very patriotic country. You find, and if you're going to say America is the greatest, let's make it great again. The, the the majority are going to go yeah hundred percent. That's I mean, what. It, you can't really disagree with that kind of logic, really, can you? No. Um, but, the other thing about it is, you know, I've heard I, I can't remember who said this. I think it was it was a it was a friend of mine um, who's a who teaches um, politics A level, and he was saying, you know, it's not that. It's not about Trump being. His policies aren't necessarily awful, right? Yeah. So when you look at his manifesto and you're reading it and you're kind of going, actually, some of the stuff he's saying is is, is probably okay. Yeah, some of the stuff that he wants to do. But and you compare that to someone like Ronald Reagan, who is the same, you know, he's Republican. The difference between the two, because their policies are very similar. Um, we all believed Ronald Reagan. Yeah. And we all believed in his message because he believed in his 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 manifesto. It was him. This isn't Trump. It's someone else. Someone else is... Some, someone else in the back wing. He's spitting it out, but he doesn't believe in it. And so when he doesn't believe in his own words and he doesn't believe in his own mantra, it's really hard to believe in the cause that he has. And so for all of his flaws, which are many... Um, I, I don't hate him. I, I just don't believe him. Yeah, you, you're 100% right with um, with the fact that when he started running for president and they and they basically said, well, you're never going to win, that was his way of going, well, I am, just watch me. And then he won and he was like, oh, shit. <laughs> so, it's incredible, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> oh, bugger. Uh, the show called Get Me Roger Stone. No. Uh, it's a 
you got oh we're going to talk about fucking Australia aren't we oh yeah 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 it's on fire, fire. Yeah, fire. however di- I did see somewhere that there's been some miscommunication from uh, whoever the American correspondent is who basically reported that the whole of Australia was on fire <laughs> <laughs> they, they had a map and it was basically Australia red the whole thing's on fire when it's and you're like, little. And you're going, no, 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 guys, it's the summer there. That's the red for the. Yeah. Like, <laughs> being 30 degrees or whatever. Yeah. You know? But it is. It fucking is mad though. How quickly yeah, the. It is a saying though. We've. I've. Uh, must have heard it on so many podcasts that everything in Australia tries to kill you, and now even the weather is. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Kangaroos will kick your ass as well. Yeah, yeah. On the subject of Australia, and it also ties in. Sorry, I cut out there. No, you're right. No, you're good. It ties in with the political correctness and how woke these companies are, etc. So there's a a cam girl over in the states who. basically said for anybody that donates $10 to help Australia, she will send them a new picture. Okay, she raised nearly 500 grand. I kicked off Instagram. 
It's mad, isn't it? Post anything on It's a shame because we didn't get those pictures. <laughs> There's also another thing. How quick was it? Um, Notre Dame Cathedral when that burnt down. How quick all the money went to get that rebuilt compared to a fucking country that's on fire. And it's taking average Joe to go right. I'm gonna set up a GoFundMe page. Bish bash bosh, people are donating money, and like, yeah. and, and you get the odd celebrity going, Oh, I better, better put a little bit on there, like Thor. Who, who you send the money to? Yeah, there's, there's, Someone yeah. set up a GoFundMe page and went, Yes! <laughs> <laughs> the big capital letters yeah. Australia, GoFundMe. Is that Australia? Yeah, you're on fire again. Which, which, com which county is this again? Is it? <laughs> no, 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 I don't want you to know we won't be selling Yeah, that's good. Thank you. <laughs> that's going to bother me. That's good. The rest of this day, that's going to bother me. Who, who's getting it? Where's that money? I think, I think honestly, that, that is a genuine issue. Like, in all of these national people that will actually get it to the where it needs to go. Mm. Um, there's, there's been a whole bunch of controversy around that in the last few years. Oh, I, I get it with, uh, with like, Children in Need and Red Nose Day and things like that. It's like, hang on a minute, Didier Drogba and Akon have given £500,000 and built, like, 2 million schools or whatever. That's exaggerated. But... That's just those two blokes. Pretty sure the last children in need, they raised like 135 million or whatever. Where's it gone? Yeah. The thing is, if you want to get real conspiracy theory about that, do it. How come, how come I'm still seeing the same adverts that usually are at Christmas for helping kids in third world countries get water? And I've been watching the same adverts in the 80s. Yeah. People must have given money to him. What is that money? Well, what's his name? Um, he's always on the Joe Rogan podcast. He goes and builds wells. Oh, um, Big Piggly. Yeah. He's out there actually building the wells. Yeah. Where, yeah. Where's the fucking money? From... Justin Wren. Justin Wren, yeah. Justin Wren, yeah, yeah. Shout out to my mate. <laughs> Don't know him, but... Yeah. Gets a mention. On this podcast. Text <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So, um, I don't know if we've discussed this, Sean, but I'll bring it up real quick. Did you ever see the interview that Will Smith did about his son coming out as non binary or something? Uh, yeah, it's not, I've, I've, I've heard of it. Thing, uh, it's posted on LinkedIn, and, but not the whole thing, just a snippet. Essentially, yeah. the, um, he admitted that the way that they put him through school and things like that 
they messed up a little bit. He never had any backroom. Do what he wants. Yeah. Moving slightly to the to the left of this, did you did you see Tom Hanks' son? Tom Hanks' son. Yeah. Have you seen him talking at the Golden Globes? Because it sort of swings back around to a he uh, talking like a like a, a bumper club. <laughs> Yeah. Did you just say Bomber Club? Yeah. What does that? What is that? Isn't he yeah. Jamaican? Yeah. You can't say Bomber Club. You can. No, you. No, you can't. You're forever trying to get me kicked off things. Stop it. I'm pretty sure you can't say Bomber Club. Yeah. Brown. Did it really <laughs> Tell me what it means first before you start finding clips. Alright, first word his name's Chet. Chet. So Couldn't be more American. Chet. 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 Right? Chet and Chad. That's Ricky Vase. <laughs> Fuck off! For a start, I don't know what he just said. I bet Tom Hanks is really proud. Can't see that, mate. Keep going. Come, come toward. Yeah, that way. Okay, it's finished now. Was he wearing a suit? So that's like the people where I. W oh, fuck off! Get him off my screen. Uh <laughs> Can you say it? You just did several times. <laughs> Can't say bomber clad. I'm not having it. Was it? Yeah. So you just insulted the the whole nation of Jamaica. And the West Indies. The state of, uh, of shock by watching that video. That's what it was. Yeah. Bumba cloud. <laughs> oh. Where have you gone? He's, he he, he's just he left. Just he's had enough. I'm out of here. Screw you guys. God. Where's he gone? This phone guy. Probably. Well, no, he's still. He can't be. He, he's, he's, still, he's still recording. He's just yeah. text me. He's just text me, but I can't read it because it's on my phone. <laughs> oh, I might have to. Let me just read it quickly. I'll be two secs. I can still hear you. Oh, his battery died. Right. So how does that work? How is it still recording if his battery died? 
what was, what are we on? What, what platform is uh, Skype. So it must be, it must be because the, because, because we're still in the chat, so it must be still recording. Yeah. That, I'm going to go, I'm going to go with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, to be fair, that is, we're at 80 minutes, so that's what, an hour and something we've done? That's not bad going, I'd say. So we'll probably, um, seeing as he's disappeared, <laughs> with all our technical difficulties. But uh, yeah, we're getting to getting to the fun bit, and his it is uh, phone dies. But I, I gotta say though, thank, thanks so much for coming on onto the onto the show. It's been a, a fucking eye opener. Oh, here he is. He just got. You just come back, mate. We were just about. I was just about to close it up. Uh, well, that's fine. Um, I was just not stay by. <laughs> <laughs> we were actually sitting here talking about you a lot, and then you came back. Yeah, so we were like, ah, fuck that guy. Fucking blood clot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> fuck, fuck that guy. Yeah. I was like, his admin's up his ass again. <laughs> <laughs> It's not a small river in China, admin. <laughs> but yeah, I was just saying we've um we've got to about an hour and a half, so yeah, that's as usually our normal. What the fuck was that? <laughs> There's fucking spiders and shit in this shed. I hate it. <laughs> Definitely, we're we're definitely gonna get Aaron. We'll definitely get Al, and we'll have to do a. Oh, do I dare say it? A four way. Feel privileged, but yeah, we're de definitely get definitely getting you back on there. It's been a Probably does. I do actually. I've got a fucking big bucket full. I've got I've got the night bus. Does that count? I've still got to build it. It's lucky we video it. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, 
the people the people listening to will be like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> Sounds good though. Epic. Cheers for. No, thank you for coming on. It's been uh, yeah. an eye opener. He's on this one now, so it could be could be yeah. 2020 guest of the year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do I get a plaque or something? No, you like, get. Or a badge or, or a thing. You can have a. I've got I've got 124 Granite Zero stickers, so you can have one of them. <laughs> They're literally on everything at the minute. The missus was having a go at me. Missus literally had a go at me earlier because I started sticking them on my Xbox remote. She went, she was like, you're a geek. I was like, yeah. She went, you're 32, stop putting stickers on shit. So that was Aaron from Inner Armour, and what a fucking brilliant guest. For me, a fucking eye-opener. And I mean, incredible. Like, I, I've just brilliant. That's the, only, that's the only thing I can say. Anyway, I've been Tomo, that was Aaron from Inner Armour, and Darren, Little Brown. And just want to quickly shout out Infusion CBD... Dead Mammoth Coffee Company and Combat Fuel. Thanks for your support. And to everybody who's listening, thank you very much. You know, over 4,000 downloads um, since March. So for me, a small podcast from, from a shed is just fucking brilliant. So that's Aaron there just saying awesome shit. Thank you. No, thank you, Aaron. Um, but yeah, thank you very much for listening. I've been Tomo. This has been the Granite Zero podcast. As they say in the RAF Regiment, per ardua, through adversity. I'm Tomo, and I'm out.